last week of this series called Them. Before we jump into the word, let's, uh, let's bow our hearts and pray together. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to act on injustice in this world. We pray that the light of your gospel would shine into our hearts, expose any, any darkness, Father, into our lives, into this world, and it would help us understand reconciliation. And that we would act on it, that we would do something. We pray that you'd stir us today to action. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, you may have noticed, but the logo is changing week to week to week in this series. So if we're going to move from this idea of us and them thinking, we have, to have, we have to have Jesus in the center. He has to be in the center of our relationships, in the center of our lives, in the center of our church, and He changes us and helps reconcile us with other people. That's the nature of this discussion that we're having. It's all about Jesus. He's at work in the, space, in the spaces that divide us as people. And we know from the first week, we know that 84% of people in the world today have this impression, this idea, they feel that there's, there's hostility and anger between racial groups, which says probably some people in this room feel that right now. Now, I don't know where you are. I mean, I don't know what you feel when we, as we've gone through this, this uh, series, but I know for, for many people, as I've had conversations with them, there's a tension that results in this discussion. It creates a tension because, well, first of all, it's a very complex problem, isn't it? The division between people. How do we solve it? What can we do as people, individually and collectively as a church? So no matter where you are, we just want to start the conversation and encourage us to keep looking for our next steps. That was the reason why we did this series. So much of the way we process and handle the idea of race and, and the idea of relationships in those contexts, it comes from where we grew up and how we grew up and our parents and our family and the way we were taught. I was raised in a, in a small town in northeast Missouri called Kirksville. Anybody here at Kirksville, Missouri? Okay, home of Truman State University. Yay. So anyway, Kirksville is a um, small town. It's about 15,000 people. And when I was growing up there, late 60s, early 70s, pretty sleepy little town, not much going on, not very diverse, to be honest with you. In fact, there was one African-American family in the whole town. And uh, I became friends with the youngest member of that family, Mike. Uh, he became my friend. And, and we were united and joined together in playing music. We loved to do that together. Now, we had a lot of fun. It was ninth grade, you know. We had a lot of fun, but I'll just be honest with you. The band wasn't very good, okay? Just not very good at all. But that did not keep us from preparing for the record deal, you know. We went ahead and did our PR shots for that. There we are. That's the band. Don't we look like we're having fun? We, we have to have those stern looks on that was cool in those days, you know? And so we as a band, you know, we were thinking and having fun and doing all this stuff together. One day Mike comes to us and he says, look, we're leaving, we're moving. And we said, well, you can't leave now. The record deal, what about what happens? If, it, you know, I mean, if we make it big, we need a drummer. He said, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. We need to move someplace where there's more people like us. 
And of course, all we could think about was who's going to play the drums. We missed it. We didn't understand it. We, we couldn't process it. And we didn't relate to his family and what they were going through in the town with all the things that were going on in the late 60s. They felt things that we were unaware of. We, we had blind spots. And I just have to confess to you, to be honest with you, I think I've lived some of my life with blind spots. Maybe you have too. You know, because it's so big and so complex, this issue of race, it's like, what do we do? What do we actually do? What can we do to make it better, to make it different? That's what this conversation has been all about. God's dream is that we would get to know people who are different than we are. That we would understand their hopes and dreams and fears. That we would enter into their life so that we could be with them and know them and be united in Christ because that's his plan. That there would be no division between people because of skin color. Because we are one as a family, followers of Christ. That's his dream for us. And if we could do that, if we could become more diverse as his people... If we could become as diverse as the play area is during the week, you know, it would change the nature of our congregation. You know, God created us all in His image. Did you know that? All of us in His image. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what Scripture tells us. We all have the image of God. We are all His children. And He's created this circle of relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and us And when we enter into the lives of other people who are different from us, we experience more of the community that God has planned for us. Peter had to learn this. We learned it in week one. We heard it in week one. And he had to learn that Gentiles are people too. And I just wonder who we have to, who we have to understand our people too. You know, he had to to learn that all people are the same, that you can interact and, and, and work with Gentiles because that was the division that was in his life. That was the blind spot that was in his life. See, the gospel is meant to invade dark spaces that divide people. God is at work in those divisions, and the gospel comes in and it invades it, invades it. the mistrust. The brokenness, the fractured relationships, the anger, the hate, the gospel invades those spaces and it does one thing that nothing else can do. It reconciles people. Paul writes about this in this way. He says, look, all this is from God who through Christ reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the first relational reconciliation is between us and God. Jesus accomplished that. He goes on to write about it that Now our trespasses are not counted against us because of what Jesus did. But he doesn't stop there, does it? Because then he says, you now have this message of reconciliation. In fact, he closes this section. He says, you are ambassadors. You are to be the agents of reconciliation. And how could we reconcile with people that we won't get to know and talk to? How can we be one if we don't see them as people or if we don't see their problems or their struggles or their issues? How can we do that? We need to first enter into their lives. It will be much richer and fuller for us as followers of Christ if we do that. You know, a lot of people in the world today believe that the church has a major role to play in reconciliation. According to this survey, 73% say the church can make a difference. Can you imagine if we did? Think about it. Imagine if we'd actually make a difference. And what the world might say about the church, which is not always getting the best press, I mean, if we could be the agents of reconciliation and racial issues, 
And we could unite people that, that previously were not united. And we could show love and, and acceptance. And our worship services would look different if we did that, wouldn't they? And, and the communities would take notice, wouldn't they? People would say, wait a minute, what is going on? How can they love? How can they forgive? How can they unite? These are people of diversity, but yet they are united because we are united in Christ as his children. Think about it. If we, if we did that, if we did that, it would cause us to look at some other things that we need to talk about because we, we finally have to boil this down to action. It's not just about a diverse worship service, although that would be a great step. Every week, every day out in our playset, set, that's exactly what our playset set looks like. Well, they're not standing quietly, believe me, they're the kids. But they are, they, we have an incredibly diverse population that shows up right here in our church. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But when we think about having that kind of diversity, it's going to drive us to action. There are things that need to be done. There are injustices in our world that we need to address. And when we think about action, when it comes to this question of us versus them, dealing with injustice is a good place to start. I want to tell you a story about an Old Testament king. How many of you have ever heard this uh, phrase, jumping Jehoshaphat? Anybody ever heard that? If you grew up in Missouri, you would have, especially in my Baptist church, all right? It's an exclamation. It's like, holy cow! You know, and um, I don't know whether people use it much anymore, but it's from a book in the, uh, from the 18th century. This is the full uh, phrase, by the shaking jumping ghosts of Jehoshaphat. And, it, you know, it's this point where if you, you know, you want to express exclamation, it's like, that's what you say. I don't know where Holy Cow came from, but I know where Jehoshaphat came from. He was this king, this king in the Old Testament. He's a king of Judah. Judah is the southern part of Israel. You know, Israel went into the promised land, and they were one nation for a while, and then they split. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he wasn't a bad king, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad because he did one thing really well. He united people in worship of the true God instead of idols and false gods. And that pleased God, that was a good thing. So they had the worship thing down. Look around, we've got the worship thing down. A lot of people here this morning, it's awesome, we're worshiping together. But God sent a prophet to, the, to Jehoshaphat, and he had a message, a clear message, that while that is good, and we want to do it, we want to worship together, we want to be a church, you've got to pay attention to the injustices in your land. This is what the, the prophet said to Jeho Jehoshaphat. He said, why did you help evil people? Why do you love those who hate the Lord? That is the reason the Lord is angry with you. And what he's talking about, the word love is used in, in the Old Testament several times to, to uh, illuminate political alliances that people uh, make for their own personal gain. So because this alliance, these alliances were going on, uh, people were being treated unfairly. They weren't following God's plan for justice. And Jehoshaphat said, wait a minute, we can't have that. And so what he did is he hired all new judges, or he picked all new judges for the land. He said, now let, and he gave him these instructions. He said, now let each of you fear the Lord. Watch what you do, because the Lord our God wants people to, wants people to be fair. He wants all people to be treated the same. He wants all people to be treated the same. 
justly. That's what justice means. And he doesn't want decisions influenced by money. That's why judges are so important in our land. Think about that today. Wouldn't it be great if judges took that oath? And so we have this challenge, and Jehoshaphat meets it, and he corrects it, and he brings justice to the land. He at least acts. He takes a step. He does something. Isaiah talks about this a little bit later, about a hundred years later, the same message. He's saying, look, these guys are worshiping well. They, they love me, and they seek me, and they want to be near me, and they're concerned about uh, justice and righteousness, and that's good. That's what the prophet Isaiah tells Israel. But then just a few verses later, he says, you know, here's what you need to add to your, your religion. Here's what you need to add. It's a fast. It's the kind of fast that would break chains of injustice and get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, and cancel debts because there's still injustice in the land. And you can worship together, and that's great, and it's awesome, but you're not reconciling the injustices that are hurting people. Now, if you look at these words, start to read them. Every person in here is going to be at a different place as they define them and they understand the problem. But these are the words that, that, that create the opportunity for injustice, that drive what we call isms, whether they're racism or others-isms. And, and, the, and the question isn't necessarily our understanding and our agreement on all those things. It's like when we see injustice that flow from these kind of words, we need to do something about it as a church. We need to reconcile people and so they can experience the fullness that God has for their lives. You know, uh, there are a lot of isms, isn't there? Uh, if you think about it, uh, I'd never heard of ableism, but I guess that's when you prefer an able-bodied person over maybe a disabled person. There's uh, ageism. As 60 years old, I'm concerned about that one. Not really. But uh, anti-Semitism, we saw that raise its ugly head in St. Louis this week. Classism, racism, we've talked about. Sexism. Isms divide people. And when people are divided, there's a power structure that allows injustice. That's the simple way to look at this. And as, old, uh, as an old Baptist preacher said, he said, look, all those isms need to become wasms. That's right, isn't it? They need to become wasms. We need to go to work in the spaces that divide us, to join God because He's already working in those spaces. Let me give you a, just a snapshot of an injustice, a foundational one, a one that drives so many other problems that we experience as a country, and that's poverty. There are a, there's a level of poverty, $24,000 roughly, that the government says if you're living below that, you're living it below the poverty line. And in our country, about 13%, 13.5% of our population live below that line. But that is not the case for every race. If you're African American, it's more like 30%. It's close to 30%. If you're Hispanic, it's about... Uh, it was very close, about 27, 28%. If you're white, if you're white, that number's 9.5%. Now, I'm not saying that that's our fault as white people if you're a white person here this morning. I'm just saying it's an injustice. It's something we're called to do something about. That's all I'm saying. That we can make a difference here. 
that we can be the light of the gospel and shine into people's lives. We can do that as a church. And that's going to say to the world and to every race that that's what we're about is God's justice, that we want fairness as a people because our hearts have been changed because we've been reconciled with God. Jesus said it this way. He said, they are blessed who work for peace for they will be called God's children. Peace is more than just absence of conflict. Peace here is a, an environment in which people thrive. You know, where they have what they need, where, where they, they have food and they have everything, education and opportunity. And in the Beatitudes, this is what Jesus is saying. He's, this is the seventh Beatitude, that famous sermon Jesus gave. He says, look, blessed are the people who work for this. This is a good thing. This reflects who I am as God. That's what we want to do, right, as a church. That's what we want to do. And he goes on to explain. He says, look, you are, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt and light. How many times have you guys heard those words? What does it mean to be salt and to be light? It's kind of a nice catchphrase, you know, kind of a nice saying. Jesus was using some imagery from a Roman proverb, actually, that said that uh, there's nothing more useful than than uh, salt and sunshine. And in those days, salt was used for, um, for preservation and flavoring, but it was also used for healing and fertilizer. And surprisingly, you could get paid in salt. It was currency in those days. So which was Jesus talking about when he said to be the salt? We don't know. Maybe all of them. Because they're all reflective of resources that we can bring to the world. That we can... That we can help people with, that we can correct injustices with, to be salt. He says to be light. You know, what's the function of light? It's to shine into those dark places, and that's what, that's what division is all about. It's a dark place. And the gospel, the light of the gospel shatters those broken relationships and anger and hatred because it reconciles us first with God and gives us a source of love that we can then love others with and forgive others with it's an amazing gift the light of the gospel and jesus says you need to be that but too often we think of this as a t-shirt your slogan you know it's like yeah i'm gonna be salt and light what does that mean and i gotta tell you i'm not sure what it means for each of you individually but i know it means movement it means we can't sit here and do nothing Right? We, have, we need to move. We need to start the journey together. Have the conversations. That's why we're having this series. I want to share with you a story of, of two guys who started the journey. And um, Mike and Ken. Uh, Ken is actually an attender over at uh, Kimberly Way. And they do prison ministry together. And they go into the prisons and they work with all races to do a transformation program for almost a year long. It's just an amazing Pre, uh, gift that they give to those prisoners. But that's not the story. That's not all the story here. And, and, and just to give you a vision and maybe an idea of how this might work in your life, you're going to see that the relationship between the two of them is a big part of the story as the reconciliation discussions continue. Let's watch this. Ken, the wounds go very deep uh, when I listen to uh, members of my own family and what carries over into the uh, congregation, uh, 
uh, the worship experience uh, is that people are just people. They're trying to uh, have a little joyful experience. Uh, they don't want to think about segregation. They don't want to think about racism. Uh, they want to be relieved of the hurts, but uh, I would like to say that we cannot run away from it. Uh, our churches, unfortunately, uh, on Sunday mornings when we normally have our worship, some have on Saturday, are really segregated. Yeah. And I just can't believe that Jesus is pleased with that. So I thank him for moving on your pastor's heart and you. Uh, to begin a series and uh, to have this conversation. I'm going to go back to my church. I moved and uh, to have this conversation. We need to be more intentional, eliminating uh, racism and bigotry on our parts. Uh, what happened during slavery, what happened with the great migration from the south to the north, We've got to be healed from that and move forward. And with God's help, both of our congregations and specifically the members can move forward to build the bridges, to have the conversations, to form the relationships that there's no reason we shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd just like to say this one thing. Uh, you know, I love you as a brother, even though you're a brother from another mother. <laughs> you and Catherine have a special place in our heart uh, because of the excellence that you bring uh, to everyone when you minister at the institutions. And I will be eternally grateful uh, for your preparation, uh, the use of all of your many gifts and talents that God has bestowed upon you because many of those people that we minister to, as you well know, uh, have a totally different opinion of what white people are. Please, nobody takes this wrong, but they have nicknames like white devils and, you know, all they want is control and money. But all you and Catherine bring to them is love and compassion and hope and a realization that if they all embrace the Transformation Life program, that they can really change their lives. And once again, Ken, I really appreciate you doing that. There's no one single factor we can point to, whether it's in Hispanic lives, whether it's in black lives or um, disadvantaged white lives, that have taken people to the point where they are but it's been most often a number of factors, and a number of factors that have been out of their control in the first place. And it's with that understanding that I've developed a sense of compassion for those people. And it's not that I want to control them, as, 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 as you pointed to, but it's I want to help them because Christ has helped me. And how can I not help others because of the way Christ has helped me? Wonderful. Powerful story, diversity coming together to make a difference to the injustices of people who are in prison. But what's happening between the two of them? They're having an amazing impact on each other's lives and churches, by the way. So what is it? What is it that we could do individually? What could you do? Where could you be involved? You're going to need to pray about that.
You're going to need to get a vision for that. And on the back of your Connect card, there's a place where you can check. We'll send you a page on the website that will help you begin that journey. We'd love to talk to you if you have questions or ideas, things that you might want to be involved in. If you want to get involved in prison ministry, that would be awesome. But there's lots of different ways, and you see it, you know it, you're there. The ways that we might be a part of the gospel light that brings reconciliation to people. Jesus said it this way, he said, look, uh, in the same way, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. When people see us reflecting his character, they're going to give him praise. And that's the goal. We're not always there as people. We're going to need to be patient with one another. We're going to need to be encouraging to one another and loving and forgiving to one another. But that's our goal. Not to let the the fires of racism, which are in our country, I'm telling you, you know it, you've seen it, you've experienced it this past year. We We just can't let them burn. I used to teach people fire safety, and when somebody's on fire, the first thing that you do is you stop. You just stop, and I want to encourage us all to just stop. If, if you feel the heat of prejudice ever, just stop for a moment and think. Don't respond to that, that social media post or that news story or whatever it is. If you feel that heat, just stop. Then I want you to drop to your knees in humility and reach out and say to God, um, Help me. Help me to see my blind spots. Help me to see where I can help. Help me to see how the Spirit can be in the middle of this division. Help me to see how to join you because you're already there working in the areas, the spaces that divide us. But most of all, you've got to pray. We've got to pray to roll because that's roll means movement. That's how we roll is the way we say it, right? We have to move. We have to take action. We can't sit by. We can't be so uninvolved. We have to pay attention. And so that's what we want to do as a congregation. We want to challenge everyone to move, whatever God is calling you to do. I want to spend, as we close today, I just want to spend a moment in prayer. On your sermon notes card, there's a a prayer for you to pray, just to read. And it basically is just asking God some of the things that we've talked about. And I like to do that, and, and I know God is going to honor that prayer. He's going he's to speak to you and guide you and direct you. So let's take a moment now in quiet prayer. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to act. 
join you in the, in the, as you work in the spaces of division that are in our world. Empower that word to your Holy Spirit. Melt our hearts with your love that we can share it with other people. Remind us that we are your children, all your children. And let that shape our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about our relationship with Christ? Or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T L C the number four, and the letter U, dot org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.